This is the Meiji at 150 podcast. I'm Tristan Gruno. Today I'm talking with Dr. Taka Oshikiri, lecturer in the Department of History and Archaeology at the University of the West Indies at Mona. Dr. Oshikiri is the author of Gathering for Tea in Modern Japan, Class, Culture, and Consumption in the Meiji Period, published by Bloomsbury in 2018. Dr. Oshikiri, thank you so much for talking with me today. Well, thank you for having me. And you just published this book, Gathering for Tea in Modern Japan, and you talk about some of the changes in the cultural significance of tea in the Meiji period, but also starting in the Tokugawa period. So could you tell us about some of these transformations in the cultural significance of tea practice? Well, in the Tokugawa period, unlike the Sengoku, the warrior state period, the tea ceremony was incorporated in the Tokugawa shogunate's annual ritual. So it doesn't mean that the tea was not practiced amongst the, the elite commoners or outside the castle, but its cultural importance was reinforced, I would argue, because it became a part of the authorities' annual event. It was stable production of green tea throughout the Tokugawa period. But I would say there was not much uh, significant development in terms of its art or practice itself. It was continuously practiced by the elite, and the tea gathering was a space to socialize. And, well, it's just um, my simple observation, not as a researcher, but as a non-specialist in Tokugawa period, it looked like the tea became an old-fashioned, quite rigid. The, the practice was associated too much with the authority. So people liked the new stuff, like there was the introduction of a new type of tea, sencha, or leaf tea, in the 17th century. And the practice, and there was a development in tea manufacturing technology. So the leaf tea became the popular urban commodity that you can get in the market, whereas the powdered green tea was more or less exclusive to the daimyo and shogun or the religious, religious elite and imperial family. So the accessibility of the tea itself made the product almost impossible to be popular among the people or become a democratic practice. And then in your book, you talk about how this cultural significance of tea ceremony changes with the coming of the Meiji Restoration. So can you talk about some of those transformations? Oh, in the, the transformation in the Meiji period. Well, um, as I discuss in my book, tea was a significant part of people's experience of Japan's modernization. First, because the practice of tea gathering provided a space for elite people of different origins to socialize. And secondly, the perception of tea ceremony as an important part of Japan's aesthetics and cultural history became important with the establishment of the modern Japanese nation. Governmental and intellectual authorities started to embrace the material aspects of the tea ceremony when they found that the art of tea was useful to show its Western counterpart that Japan had a long-standing civilization. So when developing the official historiography of the Japanese nation and its art in the Meiji period, the government and intellectuals deliberately cherry-picked aspects of material culture from the past and historical events that fitted into their visions of modern Japan. 
and the presentation of tea ceremony as Japan's tradition was part of the government's strategy in showcasing the modern Japanese nation with long history and rich cultural heritage. And as you mentioned, in the Meiji period, you get this kind of resuscitation of the past in, in many ways. The uh, adoption of the Dajokan court system, the adoption of, of Shinto practices, e- even the adoption of some of these old court names. I, I mean, I, I was struck by people like Ito Hirobumi and Okuma Shigenobu kind of going back into their lineage and finding these court ties and, and coming up with these royal court names. Everybody's all of a sudden a Fujiwara, for example. So are you saying that this renewed emphasis on the tea ceremony is another type of this invention of tradition? More like a rediscovery of the importance of tea, of course, it has a connection with their important past, especially its relation with the Ashikaga shoguns and and especially the Toyotomi Hideyoshi. But whether it was uh, reshaped to serve the modern nation, well, the idea and concept of tea ceremony was important for the government and intellectuals, but at the practice level, the story is slightly different Material culture of tea ceremony or the history of tea artifacts was reshaped or, or in, if you like the word invented, became the invented tradition because of their importance or the important place they had in the art production and art history. But as for the tea gathering and tea practice, the modern experience of tea practice and practice of tea gathering is different from the modernizing experience of tea artifacts. And also, the experience was not ubiquitous. For example, as I discussed in my book, modernization of tea practice was experienced differently in Kyoto, old capital, and new capital, Tokyo. Especially in the old capital, Kyoto, the tea gathering practice played a significant role in the modern development of the tourist industry. But whereas in Tokyo, the tea gathering was associated with the elite's social and cultural life. As demonstrated in Christine Guth, the art, tea, and industry, the aesthetics of the tea ceremony were the foundation of the art collecting in Japan. And in the mid-made period, new members of the elite class, like Masuda Takashi, invested in artwork, including a number of notable historic tea artifacts. And also the market price of antique tea utensils rose in the Taisho period. One of the goals of the Meiji state, as codified in the Charter Oath, was this idea of tearing down or tearing asunder of these evil customs of the past, as I said. But one of those was this hierarchy and the social stratification of Japanese society. But you're talking about how the tea ceremony is another way to form new social groups. But we get this impression of tea ceremony as something that is really for the privileged elite, requires special utensils, teaware, special clothing, special foods, even special rooms, the chashitsu, where you would hold the ceremony. And not to mention the time that it takes to hold a full ceremony. So can you talk about how commoners were able to participate in this and and how we get the emergence of these new kind of social gatherings around the tea ceremony in the Meiji period? Well, um, I define participation broadly, not just sitting in the room in the setting of tea gathering. One of the features of the Meiji period tea practice was that there were increasing number of large-scale tea gatherings organized in public places. In some cases, it was held in a public park and open to the public. 
And in addition, commercial space like the department store built an in-house small thatched house with tea facilities in which an employee of the store demonstrated the tea ceremonial practices. So it became like a like a performance that everyone can watch. Not necessarily drink tea, but to watch the entire ceremonial practice and experience it. And so by 1900, tea practices were mobilized for public events and the history of tea, especially its relationship with the Ashikaga Shogun and Toyotomi Hideyoshi, was included in the official narrative of history and art history. And tea artifacts were displayed in museums and also at the exhibitions. And commoners might not be able to fully participate in this lengthy, time-consuming tea gathering that required the understanding of complicated manners and the knowledge of the tea art to appreciate the subtleties of the room decorations. But in the Meiji period, there was a development of public spaces and commoners could see and experience tea practices. And such places included festivals, exhibitions, museums, and other tourist and commercial sites. But not many commoners became practitioners of the tea ceremony. So not many had access to formal tea gatherings. But through these experiences, by watching the performance or participating in large-scale tea gatherings at a public park, commoners could internalize tea practices as part of their cultural identity. That's a great point about the the normalization of the tea ceremony during the Meiji period and and perhaps even an, an attempt for this newly emerging, shall we call them, citizen subject class to participate in this activity that perhaps did bespeak some kind of elite status and maybe they could get a, a glimpse of it. But at the same time, you're, you're talking about how the department stores are, are demonstrating this and, and presumably also selling some of these implements, maybe not for a formal ceremony people could do at home, but at least some type of, of participation in the consumption of tea on a more personal, private, smaller scale. Or it's a department store, so they are selling tea utensils, not necessarily a pricey, antique, historic tea utensils, but like tea board, tea cups and other tea-related items at the department store. So it was one way to lead the cultural scene because the first tea room, such tea room, appeared in the Mitsukoshi department store, Mitsukoshi dry goods store. And Mitsukoshi or Mitsui was the one of the central figure or Mitsui business circle is one of the central group that led the tea ceremony scene in the Meiji period. Is it from the Meiji period that tea moves from the tea ceremony room into the kitchen, so to speak, where it becomes more of a universal item that's consumed as part of the daily life? Or is that something that happens even earlier? Yes, um, powdered green tea was, of course, served outside tea gatherings. In the Tokuga period, it was a beverage that you served in official settings, not a daily or a casual place. Is just thinking about you know if we're thinking about the tea ceremony as as one of the practices that's coming to define participation in this emerging Japanese cultural modernity, 
maybe the daily consumption of, of green tea in, in whatever form, whether it's matcha or sencha or genmaicha or some other forms as well. Is this a way for the Japanese people at home to kind of participate or feel like they're participating in the construction of this nation state? Uh, no, I don't think so. Because, the, again, the experience was quite limited. As you said, you need a certain equipment and you need powdered green tea, which was not cheap. Green tea was expensive item, luxury goods. So it is almost impossible to do tea at home. And also the experience of tea is different place by place. In Kyoto, yes, you can say that the tea ceremony was more embedded in everyday life. There are more casually inviting people to their house and served matcha. That was part of their social life, the elite merchants of Kyoto. But that did not happen in Tokyo. But tea gatherings was quite popular amongst upper class. Not only the Japanese upper class, but also the Western delegates also took part in these tea gathering events. But I don't know, I'm not sure about other places, so, so I can't really say whether that was a national experience and what the experience at the national level that like the, everyone, well, every citizen was enjoying or trying to enjoy drinking tea. I think that it was more diverse. Their experiences are more diverse than what we might think. And you mentioned Western delegates participating in tea ceremony. And we were talking before about the popularity of tea ceremony amongst Western travelers to Japan. And so as a result of this, tea ceremony finds its way back to the United States, doesn't it? And you, in your book, you're talking about the practice of tea ceremony in, in places like New York and Chicago. Oh, yes. Um, the main focus of my book is the international expositions and how the Japanese government and the tea industrialists displayed tea and tea ceremony at these events. And North America's experience of Japanese tea is or was different from other parts of the world because, again, the U.S. was the biggest market for the Japanese tea exports. And the Japanese Tea Trade Association set up sales offices and tea shops in New York and Chicago to promote Japanese tea to American consumers. The focus of my book is, again, international exposition. And I discuss Chicago Exposition of 1893 and Japan-Britain Exhibition in 1910 and the implications of the presentations. Chicago in 1893 is interesting because it was the first time the Japanese Tea Trade Association set up commercial tea saloons. Actually, they set up three tea saloons for the purpose to promote the Japanese green tea. Whereas how the Japanese government presented the tea was more focusing on the art or material aspect of the tea ceremony. And it was presented as part of Japan's cultural history both in Chicago and in London. So I don't think the intention was to promote the tea ceremony as a national pastime or any national ledger. But the government's display was showing the art of tea as an integral part of Japan's art production. On the other hand, the tea industry was trying to sell their products. So tea manufacturers mobilized the tea ceremony for the educational purposes because they believe that teaching consumers how to make a cup of tasty green tea would increase their sales. And the ceremonial performance of tea was one way to catch 
visitor's attention and maybe to teach the audience the cultural nuance of tea drinking. And especially it was pretty much clear at the Colombian Exposition 1893. And as for the North American experience of tea, I think we should not underestimate the role played by Okakura Kakuzo or Okakura Tenshin, especially in the spread of the art of tea in North America. He was active in Boston as a curator of the Museum of Fine Arts. And while he was in Boston, he actively organized the tea gatherings, inviting his American friends. Okakura was a great fan of the art of tea, and when he was the dean at the Tokyo Fine Arts School, many of his protégés became practitioners of the tea ceremony under his influence. And so as you were saying, that that's mainly a way to promote the export of Japanese tea at a time when Japan was looking for products that were popular in the West? But interesting thing about this exposition and tea is, I don't know much about 1867 Paris, but later in the Meiji period, in 1878 and 1889, the government found out that tea was not popular in French market. So in 1889, actually, the government did not bring tea. There was no tea exhibitors at Paris in 1889. But the U.S. was the biggest market. So in the U.S. at the American expositions, after 1893, almost at every single exposition, tea industrialists built a commercial tea house and tried to promote their products. But tea export was declining in the early Meiji period. It was important. But by the end of the Meiji period, the industry was not doing well. So when the Japanese government and industrialists participated in 1910 exhibition in London, the size and the budget that the Tea Trade Association received from the government and the Imperial Commission was small in scale, and the budget was, especially compared to Taiwanese oolong tea, by 1910 became one of the important commodities or export for the Japanese government. So in 1910, the Japanese Green Tea Association received less attention at the London exhibition. And after that, their sales just continued to decline. But on the other hand, the importance of tea ceremony within the narrative of Japanese history became more significant at the London exhibition. So in the historical palace in London in 1910, there was one display labeled the Tokugawa period where you can see a small tea room with two persons, two dolls, doing tea. And it looks like uh, the old tea master teaching tea to young girl. And the explanation here was the, the tea ceremony was important since the Ashikaga period, and it is still practiced in modern Japanese society to educate young people, civility, and manner. So the discourse of tea as a way to teach civility to the young, younger generation was explicit at London in 1910. 
you mentioned that as central as tea ceremony is to this Western notion of Japan and, and kind of the cultural imagination of Japan, there has been surprisingly little amount of work done on tea ceremony between Sen Norikyu in the late medieval period and the Meiji period. And so maybe there's a bit of a lacuna in the Tokugawa period where tea ceremony just kind of disappears. Why do you think that is? Well, it did not disappear, but uh, the practice, well, up to like the period of Tokugawa Iemitsu, the third shogun, tea was an integral part of warrior elite's daily life. And there were many tea gatherings or tea parties where shogun invited their colleagues or other daimyos. And that was one of the rituals or ceremonial acts to show the daimyo's obedience to the shogun. But that practice disappeared around the time of the Tokugawa Yemen's war, at the time when the Tokugawa shogunate had concretized their rule. So after that, he was still practiced among the daimyo, and it was their essential skill to learn. But there was no daimyo tea masters after the Yemitis period. And the place of a tea master became one of the positions within the Tokugawa administration. After around the mid-17th century, the position of tea-related martyrs were handled by normal middle-class katamoto warrior and institutionalized within the administration. The Meiji at 150 podcast is hosted by Tristan Gruno at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. This podcast would not be possible without the cooperation of the UBC Center for Japanese Research and the technical assistance of the UBC Faculty of Arts, ISIT. Find out more about the Meiji at 150 project, including the Meiji at 150 lecture series, digital teaching resource, and workshop series by visiting our website, meijiat150.arts.ubc.ca. Thank you for listening.